Remember your first kiss? What about first day of high school? First job? How about when you bought your first home? Maybe the day your first child was born. The reason we tend to remember these events is because they're definitive. I mean, they define us. They make up part of who we are. But they're not just definitive, they're also informative, right? So the first kiss and you're like, oh, so that's what all the fuss is about, right? You got your first job, you work really hard, you're super excited, you get that paycheck, you open up and you're like, who is FICA? And why does he get all my money? Right, as a father, like that doctor hands you your first kid and you're like, oh, oh. (laughs) I don't fully understand yet, but this is, I'm starting to realize what my life is going to be. First experiences, first times, it's informative. It's the same with the Bible. When we're studying the Bible, there's this concept called first mention. And the idea is this, the first time something is mentioned in the Bible can give us a little insight into what we can expect from that subject. It's not the end all be all. It doesn't define it. Okay. I was reading um, today about problems with the first mention concept. And they were like, if you took it as its heart, you would read the story of Cain and Abel and you would be like farmers or murderers. Okay. So that's not the case. But it can be insightful. It can't, we get it now? Okay. <laughs> a little slow. It's all right. Someone laughed. I don't appreciate it. I don't care when they come. They can come late. That's fine. Um, Genesis chapter three has three first mentions that are huge. And I want to look at them tonight. And I want to look at them. Well, let me tell you what they are first. The three first mentions we're going to see in Genesis Chapter three is Satan, legalism, and sin. Satan, legalism, and sin. So it'll be an uplifting message, okay? These are concepts that the Wednesday night crew is familiar with. Okay, if you're a Wednesday nighter, if you're a twice a week in church, you know these terms, you know these concepts. I will not say anything tonight that you haven't heard already, most likely. But there's two things that I want to accomplish. The first is I need to be reminded of these things. I need to be reminded of when Satan's going to attack, of how Satan's going to attack, of what the dangers of legalism are. I need to be reminded about the consequences of sin. But not only that, you guys, you're the leaders of this church. You're the counselors. You're the marriage seminar teachers. Church happens a little bit on a Sunday morning, but church happens in a coffee shop as a woman that you're mentoring pours her heart out to you. Church happens in community groups, right? As a couple is struggling through something and you guys come alongside them, and this is the room full of our counselors and our community group leaders and our priests. We're called to be a nation of priests. That's you guys. And Satan and legalism and sin are the big things that you're going to be dealing with because they're the things that wreck lives. And so we need to know, not only for ourselves, but for those that we're trying to pour into, what does the Bible say about these things? What are we supposed to know about these things? How do we 
combat them. So let's look at them. Genesis chapter three, verse one. It says, now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field, which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, has God indeed said to you, you shall not eat of every tree of the garden. And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but the fruit of the tree, which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Then the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. Extremely familiar passage. Right now, Satan comes on the scene. Genesis chapter one, Genesis chapter two, everything is perfect. That's the way God designed it. And then this is the point in the movie when the music changes, and da, 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 right? Enter the serpent. And the first question I have is, when does Satan show up? Because it would be nice to know when Satan's going to show up. That's how we put our guard up. And what I see here about this story is, first of all, Satan shows up when things are doing well. Eve's doing well. Her marriage is perfect. That's not going to happen again in the history of the world. <laughs> right? She has an unblemished record with God. She walks, she talks with them. She's got the perfect job. I mean, things are going well. And Satan hates it when things are going well. He hates it when things are going well. And when you're counseling someone or when you're going through something yourself and you see someone get a breakthrough in their struggle with addiction or they're finally doing well having patience with their kids, they've started getting up in the morning and doing devotions, they need to be aware, you need to be aware, we need to be aware, you're making the enemy mad, which is good and dangerous. And he's going to show up. I love this passage because I always teach it to uh, when I do premarital counseling. And I sit down with couples and I say, what is the end of Genesis chapter two, the first marriage? What do you get immediately after the first marriage? Satan, because he hates that. Good biblical marriage pointing towards God. Ooh, that makes him mad and he's gonna show up. He's gonna show up and we need to know that. The second thing I see though here is that when he shows up, when Eve is alone, right? Eve's there having this conversation with the serpent all by herself. She's standing here. She's talking with the snake. He says, hey, isn't that nice? And she's like, yeah, no, but we're not supposed to touch. What's she doing by herself? What's she doing by herself? She has got perfect husband. She's got this relationship with the Lord that's unblemished. But here she is having a conversation all by herself with Satan, now, wait a second, James, you might say, verse six says that she takes the fruit and she hands it to her husband who's there with her and he eats it. So she's not alone. Have you ever been alone in a group of people? Out of fellowship, out of communication, not sharing what's really going on in your life, not talking about your struggles. 
hey, I'm being tempted by this right now. How, what, how, what happens if that goes down? What happens if Eve says, hey, Adam, what do you think about this? And Adam goes, I don't know, man, serpent, he's a sneaky dude. I say we go have a mango. They're tasty. Which, while we're on the subject, Adam, you're standing there, get involved. Do we recognize when the people around us are under attack? Does Eve even know she's under attack? This is the job. This is Adam's job as a husband. This is our jobs as husbands or shepherds or parents or friends. You're under attack right now. You don't even know it. I need to pray for you. Man, what an opportunity we have if we will open our eyes and be aware that the enemy likes to come in and isolate because that's what he likes to do. He gets Eve and he isolates her and then he draws her into a conversation And that's a very, very dangerous place to be is when you start having that conversation in your head with the enemy. I went to Africa a number of years ago and I was trying to buy um, souvenirs to take home. And I don't know how many of you have been shopping in large markets in third world countries, but they're not like here, right? So there's not prices. It's all this haggling. And it was, I mean, I've been to Mexico. I've been to India. This was intense, And the whole thing became, you can't even make eye contact with these people because if you start in a conversation, like you you just might as well buy the item, okay? Or they are coming home with you. Like I had a person like, give me something. Oh, I just, I'll just give that to you. And I'm like, did he give it to me? Now, if I walk away, am I stealing? Like like you have suckered me into something. How did I even get in this conversation? You guys find yourselves in that conversation with the enemy sometimes? that spiral in your head as you start going, how did I even get into this conversation? We got in that conversation because you were isolated and you're out of fellowship and you're not sharing with those around you what's going on. And that's when the enemy likes to come in, when we're doing well, but then he's gonna isolate us. Watch out for those around you, for friends falling out of fellowship, for family members who stop showing up. Go after them. Satan's drawing them away. He wants to tempt them. He wants to break them down. He wants to wreck them as he's going to do with Eve. And we can, if we're diligent, if we're watching, if we're aware that this is his tactic, we can identify that and say, no, no. And the hard part about that is most of the time, those people, they, they don't want to be around. They don't want to be in fellowship at that point. But we keep pursuing because that's what our father does. And we draw them out and we become insistent and we keep inviting them to church. And we keep calling and we keep texting and they will come around if they're pursued. Because they're either going to be pursued by us or by the enemy. And the father is pursuing them, but sometimes he wants to use us. Be aware of people in your life and people in your community, of people who you love who are becoming isolated as Eve does here. Grab onto them. So that's the first thing, okay? Satan, his first tactic is he likes to come and he likes to isolate. He likes to divide. And he likes to come when we're doing well. But then now let's see, okay, we know when he comes. Now let's see what he does. Satan's going to do two things. He is going to question the goodness of God And he's going to question the badness of sin. That's what this conversation with Eve is here. And almost everything that we struggle in, almost everything that the people that we know struggle in, falls underneath those two categories. 
It's either the enemy questioning the goodness of God or questioning the badness of sin. It's either us questioning God's goodness or questioning whether stuff is really bad. Let's see how this plays out. Verse one again. And he said to the woman, has God indeed said, you shall not eat of the tree of the garden? So this is the first thing Eve says. Eve is over here. She's standing next to the tree. She shouldn't be there in the first place. The snake comes out and he's like, looks pretty nice. Eve's like, yeah, that's why I was over here. Looks pretty good. Satan says, did God really say you can't have that? I mean, a good God would let you have that. Look how nice it is. Look how wonderful it is. Look how great it is. Is God really good or is God holding out on you? This is his play every single time to Satan. This is the fastball up the middle. And if it gets you, he will never stop throwing it. If he can get you to question God's goodness, it's all downhill from there. And it's so subtle. It's so very, very subtle. God will say this to us, you're fearfully and wonderfully made. And then I can look around and be like, yeah, but I'm not fearfully made like that dude, right? I'm not quite, you know, ladies, not quite as wonderfully made as she is. Maybe God is holding out on me. Maybe if I looked like that, maybe if I had the things they had, maybe then it would be better. And now Satan's got you in that conversation and off you go. God says, in him, we have everything pertaining to life and godliness And then, especially in America, especially in our culture, we can look at what our neighbor has and being like, I don't know, that life and godliness looks pretty great. What do you mean I have everything? I do not have that. Fill in the blank. Where sin abounds, grace abounds. And then Satan comes in and is like, you cannot show your face in church after that. Your picture was in the paper. You shouldn't even walk in those doors. God's not good enough to forgive you. What about anger that we have at circumstances? And here's the huge thing about this. When we start to struggle or when we see those around us struggling, we have to ask this question. Are you struggling with the idea of God's goodness? Or are you struggling with the idea of sin's badness? And man, that can dive right into a counseling session. Man, you want to cut right to the quick of a conversation you're having with a friend if you've got enough you know, emotional coupons to ask them that question? What are you struggling with? God's goodness or sin's badness? Because that's what he does. After he questions God's goodness, look what happens next. So the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it lest you die. And then the serpent says... You're not going to die. What's the next thing he says? Sin's not that bad. He said you were going to die. You're not really going to die. It's not that big of a deal. He does this again. Bible says fornication will destroy your soul. And then Satan goes, comes in and says, dude, what happens in Vegas? It stays in Vegas. It's just online. It's not real. It doesn't matter. The Bible says, be sober-minded. Then Satan comes in and says, eh, you're just a social drinker. It's not a big deal. Or it's medicine, man. It's medicine. It grows out of the ground. How could that be bad? Hemlock grows out of the ground. Ask Socrates. It's not good. 
but he's going to question it. Is it really that bad? Is it really that bad? It's not materialism, it's capitalism. I know this one's tough. I know we miss church most weeks, but little Jamie is learning so much about teamwork in her new soccer, whatever. I know we miss church every week, but is it really that bad? Is it really that bad? And here's the thing that's so important to know, whether it's in our own lives or whether we're speaking truth in the lives of others, is what do you do about those? How do you help someone? How do you help yourself when, when Satan is coming in and questioning God's goodness or sin's badness? When Satan is coming in and he's questioning God's goodness, the first thing you do is you go back to God's promises. Stand firm on the promises of God. I had a list, I forgot it, and I was almost embarrassed to read it because it's a list that I've read like five times from this stage because this is huge to me. You have to know God's promises. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. He does have big plans for your life. He is in control. Vengeance is mine. That's actually a promise that you can stand on. And for those of us who struggle with justice in this world, we can stand on that promise. A vengeance is his, it will be set right. But it's a promise. And when God comes in, no, sorry, start that over. When Satan comes in and he questions God's goodness, we go to the promises. When Satan comes in and he questions God's badness, I mean, wow, I'm gonna get a drink of water. We're gonna try that again. You can send that in a wrong direction really quick. Okay, when Satan comes in and he questions the badness of sin, we go to the Bible as well. And we read what the Bible says about these sins. You think fornication is not a big deal? Why don't you look it up in your concordance, adultery, read through the Bible, see what God said about it, and you're going to be like, whoo-hoo, I'm not doing that. Wow, that has some severe consequences. And the Bible lays it out for us. But you've got to know these things. You've got to know how to research them, and you've got to know how to dive into them in your own life. It's so important to do these self-studies. I think for me, one of the best things is being forced to teach from time to time because it makes me really dive into my Bible and do studies. I'm actually teaching a class right now um, about how to teach the Bible. And the first two weeks of the class is how to study. How do you study? How do you dive in and study? And when you're struggling with something, one of the best things you can do is get in this Bible, get on some of the online Bible apps, Blue Letter Bible, Bible Hub, type in a word that you're struggling with and go after it. I did this class with my wife a couple years ago and she was in it. And recently she was, this is a rabbit trail. Recently she was struggling with, with um, fear. Fear just about parenting and just what can happen to our kids. And, and she, was, she was really struggling with this. And she says, what am I supposed to do about this? What am I supposed to do about this? And I said, you know what to do about it. I said, get on Blue Letter Bible, get on Bible Hub, type in the word fear. You're going to get about 400 Bible verses. Read them. And she did. She got up every morning and for like an hour, for about three and a half or four weeks, she studied fear. I'm struggling with this. What does the Bible say about it? And then one morning she came to me and she's like, I got it. 
I'm free. And it's been this total revelation and I'm, it's, I'm putting it together as a teaching for another time because she wants me to share it at some point what God revealed to her. But you know that's available to you. Satan comes in and he says, this isn't that bad and be like, we better find out what the manual says. Okay? Maybe we shouldn't let the car run out of oil. Oh yeah, that doesn't work. Go back to your word. So, We've seen Satan, first mention of Satan. We see when he comes and he attacks. When we're doing well, but then when we get isolated. And we see how he attacks. He's gonna attack God's goodness. He's gonna attack the badness of sin. And then the second thing that I see in this passage that's a first mention is legalism. It's in these six verses. Did anybody see it? Yeah. I think this was first pointed out to me by Mark Scudstead in a premarital counseling session about 11 years ago when my wife and I were getting married. Here it is, okay? It's in Eve's first words. Go back to verse one. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field, which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, has God indeed said, you shall not eat of the tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the tree of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Did God say you can't touch the tree? No. It's in verse 16, 17 and 18. And the Lord God said, oh no, wait, that's the end. It's not good that man should be alone verse. Let's go 16. And God commanded the man saying of every tree of the garden, you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you will surely die. So where does Eve get the idea that she can't touch the tree? Adam. That's the best guess. God tells Adam, you can't eat. Adam comes to his wife well-meaning, right? Eve, you can't eat of the tree or you're going to die. You can't even touch it or you're going to die. Now we've got a problem. We've got legalism. Matt's definition of legalism is my favorite. Matt's definition of legalism is this. Legalism is putting up a stop sign where God puts up a caution. Should we be over there playing by the tree touching it? Probably not a good idea. But... Is that God's commandment to not touch it? No, it's to not eat of it. Because here's the danger and here's what happens. And I can see this playing out. I think as soon as Eve says this, Satan knows he's got her. Because now all he has to do is get her to touch it. And when she doesn't die, she's going to realize or she's going to think God was lying. Sin doesn't have any consequences. And that's what she does. Look, it says, and she took so Satan's just sitting there being like, just touch it, Eve. Just touch it. Just touch it. You know you want. Just touch, touch it a little bit. Just touch, touch, touch it. Just touch it. Right? It's the tendency of every two-year-old in the world. Right? Don't touch that. First thing they want to do. This is so dangerous because here's the problem. Real sin has consequences. But the rules that we make up around sin that are not God's rules, while they might be well-meaning, while they might be a good idea, they don't have the same consequences. Let me tell you a story that I made up. It's called The Pastor Who Cried Sin, okay? There was a youth pastor, good guy, 
taught his high school kids about love, about respect, about grace. But he had this issue. He was a little legalistic. And he noticed that some of his high school kids were listening to secular music. And he got scared. Because he, he thought, if they're listening to secular music, pretty soon they're going to be listening to gangster rap, and then they're going to be shooting each other. So he said, you can't listen to secular music. That's a sin. Which confused the kids. Because they're like, well... He's taught us that sin has consequences. But I've been listening to some secular music and I don't see any consequences. A little while later, same pastor knows that there's a school dance coming up. Dangerous, those school dances. You know what can go on there. So he says, going to school dances is a sin. Now the kids are confused. Well, I went to a dance last year and it was pretty okay. Like, we didn't do anything bad. There was no really repercussions. So now, either sin doesn't have consequences, or my pastor's a liar. Either sin doesn't have consequences, or my parents a liar. Fill in the blank, however you want to. So now said pastor looks out, and he sees some kids getting into kind of a hot and heavy physical relationship. High school kids, you know where that's going to go. And so he tells them, don't have sex outside of marriage. That's a sin. And the kids think, well, either sin doesn't have consequences because I've been doing these other things or my pastor's a liar. So they do and they both get a disease and they die. <laughs> the boy who cried wolf ends with a small child getting eaten by a wild animal. So my, my story can end with death as well. It's kind of a silly illustration, but it bears the point, doesn't it? There's a problem here. And as parents... We need to be really careful. And as counselors, we need to be really careful. Would it have been okay for Adam to tell Eve, hey, we probably shouldn't play around the tree. It will bring temptation out. That'd be okay. And that'd be good. And that'd be important. But when we lay down rules and laws that are not God's rules and laws, we do what the Pharisees did. And we put this burden on people that they can't possibly bear. And we, we undermine the real consequences of sin that God has put out there. But here's the other danger of legal, legalism. Legalism won't just cause us to sin, but even if it doesn't cause us to sin, it will always cause us to do the bare minimum. Okay, so here's what I mean. Let's go back to that illustration of listening to secular music. Or let's take it one step further and go with watching television. As adults, not high school kids at this point, let's talk about this as adults. Is watching television a sin? No. Is there some stuff on television as Christians we should not be watching? Oh yeah, absolutely. Here's what would be nice. It would be nice if there was a book in the Bible that was like first entertainment sins, right? And you could go to it and you could look it up and you could go chapter three, verse two, and it would say nothing on HBO. And you're like, okay, all right, you know? Only one scene of nudity, um, no cussing, and no gratuitous violence. And then what do we do then? Now we have the line that we can go right up to. And so we look at the movie and we're like, choo, 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 I think we can do this one. And we right up to the line. And that would be easier. And that's the thing about legalism. It's easier. It would be easier if there was a first, relationship, a first entertainment sense. But there's not. Instead, what does the Bible say about that? The Bible says this, 
set your minds on things above and not on things of this earth. Or Philippians 4.8, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. Now that's such a higher calling than a list of rules and regulations that we walk all the way up to the line on. I wish there was a book in the Bible that was like first devotions. Okay, first devotions, chapter three, you are required 15 minutes each morning, five minutes of prayer. Only two can be requests of personal nature. Okay. And one praise song before talk radio. All right. Now we got a checklist. We wake up in the morning and we check God off the list. Be easier, but that's not what the Bible says. Bible says what? Ask and you shall receive. Seek and you shall find. Knock and the door will be opened. Well, how often do I have to ask? Until you receive. Man, we don't ask right. I'm so convicted of this in my own life. I will make a request to the Lord, maybe something important, maybe something about my kids, and then I just leave it there like, well, yeah, he knows. Right, like a one-time request. That's not the biblical model, you know that? Look at Hannah praying for her son year after year after year after year she comes and requests in front of the Lord. Seek and ye shall find. Well, how long do I have to seek for? Until ye find. Right? It doesn't say seek and I will drop it on your doorstep. God is not Amazon. (laughs) You might have to seek fear out for four weeks for an hour every morning before the answer comes. Man, this is such a higher calling. And that's the problem with legalism. Legalism just makes this line and we go right up to it and we don't have to think about it and we don't have to have a relationship with the Lord. How do we decide what we're supposed to watch on TV? What's good and what's not good? We ask our father. See, here's the problem. It's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And what happens is Eve looks at it and she decides, I would like to determine knowledge of good and evil. I would like to determine good and evil for myself outside of God. And we're still doing it. And God says, that's not the way. If you wanted to know if it was good or evil, you come and you ask me, I'm your loving father. Because some of these things are cut and dry and some of them are individual. Um, My wife is a huge help. So she's got a bunch of illustrations that are about her because she was helping me put this together late late last night. And... um, we were talking about this idea that sometimes these things are personal and sometimes these things are individual. Like go back to this idea of what we're supposed to watch. She said a while ago, I started watching because I was, you know, I was nursing a new baby and I just wanted something brainless to watch. So I started watching this show about um, like next top model or something, right? Whatever, harmless. She goes, but after a couple days, she goes, I hadn't been struggling with my makeup or my clothes or my body image. But three or four days later, I was like, Ooh, I can't watch that. Now, there are people who just love fashion and they enjoy that and there's nothing wrong with it. But for her, God says, this is not good for you. This is not good for you. I made you, I know you, I have the blueprint. I looked it up. It's not in your design. You need to stay away from this one. Legalism doesn't give any room for that. It eliminates the need for this relationship with God. 
That's what the Pharisees were doing. They were taking God out of good and evil. God says, no, 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 no. I am everything that is good. Let me define it for you. Okay, so we see Satan. We see, I cannot read that clock. Wow, I'm getting old. Something's going on. What time is it? Eight o'clock. Perfect. Okay, thank you. So we've seen Satan. We've seen legalism. And now I want to look at the last one, sin. Okay, first mention of sin, verse seven. It says, then the eyes of both of them were opened. And they, this is Adam and Eve, knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord God called to Adam and said to him, where are you? And he said, I heard your voice in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And God said to him, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you that you should not eat? Then the man said, the woman, this is awesome. The woman who you gave me, she gave me of the tree and I ate. And the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? And the woman looking around finds only one other talking person in the entirety of the earth. And so she blames him, right? <laughs> she says, the serpent deceived me and I ate. So the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, you are cursed more than all the cattle and more than every beast of the field. On your belly, you shall go and you shall eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. And you shall bruise, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. And to the woman, he said, I will greatly multiply your sorrow and your conception in pain. You shall bring forth children. Your desire will be for your husband and he shall rule over you. And then to Adam, he said, because you have heeded the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree of which I commanded you saying, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for your sake. In toil, you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles, it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat the herbs of the field in the sweat of your face. You shall eat bread till you return to the ground for out of it, you were taken for dust. You are and to dust, you shall return. We're not going to go through all of that. I promise. I just want to look at the results of sin. The first thing is this. Sin makes you feel exposed. It's what happens to Adam and Eve. They sin, instantly they feel exposed. Now, Matt's idea is that possibly Adam and Eve glowed like God. So you could also say, when you sin, it just goes dark. <laughs> Their light goes out. They're exposed. And that's what sin does. And when we become exposed, the first thing we want to do is hide. And there's this idea that the longer I can keep this thing hidden, the longer I can delay punishment. The longer I can keep this thing hidden, the longer I can delay punishment. Don't run and hide from your sin. Man, God comes, he comes seeking Adam. And he says, Adam, where are you? Adam, what happened? God gives Adam a chance. Adam's like, ooh, he blows it. And that's the second thing it does. It makes you feel exposed, but it also makes you hide from God. That's what it can tend to do. That's what it often does. That's what Satan really, really, really wants it to do. 
This is the worst trick of the enemy and it's ridiculous. But Satan goes, it's not that bad. 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 It's really not that bad. You should really try it. Oh my gosh, I can't believe you tried that. You are awful, awful. God doesn't want anything to do with you. That's what he does. And so immediately once he gets us there, he flips the script on us and he goes, dude. And what do we do? We hide from God. We hide from God. And when you know people who are struggling with sin, know this, they're hiding from God. It's in their nature. They know it. We all know it. It's built into us. And when we're not living right, we hide from our maker. We have to tell them that God is seeking them. We'll talk about that in a second. The next thing that sin does, right? It makes us feel exposed. It causes us to hide from God. And then it causes us to blame others, right? (laughs) Adam is so classic here. It's just, we all know this story, right? The woman you gave me, like it's her fault and it's your fault. Is this so our tendency? It's so our tendency. I did not think that I struggled with blaming people until I got my own apartment. Okay, so I got my own apartment and um, the company that I worked for actually got me the apartment. So it was way too nice an apartment for someone to have for their first apartment. I lived there all by myself. I moved in, it was beautiful. White cabinets in the kitchen. I had a nice job. I had this suit and tie, not suit, but white shirt and tie. So I come home for lunch one day. Been living in the apartment for about two weeks. Come home for lunch, make myself a little quesadilla, a little quesadilla, right? I'm all excited. I reach in the kitchen and the um, refrigerator. I grab out the massive one gallon jug of salsa and I go to shake it up and I go like this and it explodes. I mean, there's salsa like dripping off the ceiling on my head. And I go, who left the lid off the, I live here alone. It, it could only have been me. It was me. Man, we do that. Our first reaction Who did, who left, and as parents, this is so dangerous. Man, I find find children bringing this out in me, right? You step on a Lego in the living room and say something you didn't mean to say. Is it the child's fault or your fault, right? Both, yes, (laughs) but it's not their fault (laughs) that you can't hold your temper. That's your fault. That's your deal that you need to work on. They also need to put their Legos away or you just ban Legos, okay? It's also an option. Didn't know if you knew that, <laughs> you can do that. <laughs> Man, it causes us to blame. And then here's what happens when we blame. It breaks down relationships. I imagine that Adam and Eve's relationship is never the same after this. Forget getting kicked out of the garden. Forget the fact that they both sinned and they're gonna die. Does Eve ever forget that Adam stood in front of God and said everything was her fault? Is Eve ever going to forget that? No, never. And when we fall into this tendency of sin, when we allow this to creep in and we blame others for the things that are our fault, it's going to break down those relationships. Sin has consequences. You got curses, bad curses. Sin has consequences for everybody involved. I think that's what's interesting here. Everyone who's involved in this sin, Adam, Eve, snake, everyone gets in trouble. 
That's one of my sister's sayings. Like, if dad gets involved, just everybody gets in trouble, right? Like if the kids are fighting, dad comes in, we don't need to figure out who it was. If every, everybody had a part to play, you're all in trouble. And finally, sin leads to death, right? That's what happens. Adam and Eve were gonna live forever. They still will in paradise, but as soon as they sin, it starts this process of dying and, and God's gotta kick them out of the garden. But what I don't really want to spend a bunch of time on is Adam's reaction to sin or the results of sin for Adam. What I'd really like to spend the last couple minutes looking at in this first mentioned study is how does God react to the first sin? This is the first chance we get to see how our almighty heavenly father reacts when his perfect plan is ruined by us. And that's exactly what we do every time we sin. And how does God react? The first thing that I see that's so beautiful is God seeks Adam. God comes looking for him. We think that would be the last thing that God would do when we blow it, because that's the last thing we would do. If I was God, I'd be like, Adam, like I made this thing, I just make it again. Starting over. That's not what God does. God seeks Adam. God pursues Adam. Adam. And if you're stuck in sin, if you're struggling with something tonight, know this, God's pursuing you. He's after you right now. He wants to reconcile this thing. But secondly, that's the message we have to take to other people. Those who we know that, God, that are struggling with sin, people who come to us in this broken state, we have to tell them, God is seeking you right now. He wants to reconcile with you. Not only that, when God is wronged, when God is wronged, he seeks the person who wronged him to try and reconcile, okay? When we are wronged, what should we do? Sit at home, be like, well, it's their fault. They got a call. No. They started it. No. You seek. You reconcile. You're God's image bearer. Chapter one and chapter two. Do what God does. The second thing is that I think is very interesting, and I think it's important for us to know this. Warren Wearsby said this. God deals kindly with Adam and Eve. These curses, they're not that bad. Let me play this out for you for a second. God lines them all up, right? Who does he start with? The serpent. The serpent, which it says was one of the most beautiful beings in all of creation and apparently had legs, which is creepy, okay? And what does God say? You're gonna crawl on your belly for the rest of your life and then someday I'm going to crush your head. Eve, Eve's like, this is not good. (laughs) I did not want to crawl on my belly. I did not want to have my head crushed. Eve, you're going to have pain in childbirth. Eve's like, I don't even know what that means, but thank you. (laughs) Okay, because it's better than that. God deals lightly with us. You know that? Man, we do not get what we deserve. We don't get even close to what we deserve. Yeah, sin has consequences, And there's reasons for that. It's a warning to us to change our ways. 
It's the result of what we do, but man, God deals so lightly. Can we be the same way with the sinners around us? Can we deal lightly? God doesn't shy away from it, but he does deal lightly. He does deal lightly. The third thing that I see about God and about the way that he reacts to this punishment is that when God punishes Adam and Eve, when he puts this curse on them, it's not just because he wants to curse them. He's trying to teach them a lesson. Notice what he does. He gives Eve a curse. He gives Adam a curse that's going to constantly remind them that sin is not good, right? What does Adam do every day? He works hard. What does he realize every day? Work sucks. What does that remind him? Sin is stupid, right? It does. Every single day. Eve, as a mother at home, hard. Moms, you got a hard job. Sin is sin stupid. And as a parent, as I think about this, when it comes to training my child, is there a way that I can do this? Is there a way that the punishment fits the crime in one way, but also it puts this in front of them? And then what about ourselves? Do I do this to myself? Because Matt told me this story a long time ago and it always stuck with me. He said he was having trouble. Um, this is a long time ago, way before he was a pastor, but he was having trouble like with his temper sometimes, like real quick, real quick. And he said, what I decided I would do is if I ever, even if it was just me who thought I said something I shouldn't have, I would go and apologize immediately. I would make myself go and apologize immediately. I would enact my own consequences that put this thing right in front of my head. And he goes, it worked. And I'm like, ooh, that's, that's rough. Okay, all right, that is challenging. That is challenging. Is there something you struggle with? Is there something I struggle with? Is there something that I need to talk to the Lord about and be like, okay, Lord, what kind of a consequence should I put in front of myself when this happens to remind me? And then remember what the consequences of sin is. It's not good. Man, it makes me hide. It breaks my relationships. I start blaming people. It leads to death. Man, God seeks us when we sin. God deals kindly with us when we sin. God's consequences are a teaching tool. And then finally, God provides the covering. So Adam and Eve, they make a covering out of fig leaves. Fig leaves, scratchy, uncomfortable. And then God comes along and he doesn't say, why are you covering yourself? He doesn't say that's ridiculous. What does he do? He makes them a more comfortable covering. I think as Christians, I think as counselors, I think as people, I think as parents, confession is oh so important, but then after that we cover the way our Father covers and we forgive and we move on. I think it's the one thing that I've been challenged with most from this little passage is like, okay, God comes, yes, and there's consequences, yes, but then what does God do? God covers. God covers and then he promises. What? He promises ultimate redemption. Right here, the next verses, he says, hey, I'm gonna crush that. I will crush that at my own expense. And when others sin around us, do we react to their sin the way God reacts to Adam's sin, the way God reacts to our sin? Do we pursue them? Do we deal kindly? 
Do we help them work through the consequences so they don't do it again? Do we provide a covering? And do we remind them that God is doing all these things? Genesis 1 and 2 says this, and this is what Matt's been hammering on. We're God's image bearers. You're supposed to represent me. And it broke, but that didn't mean the calling went away. I think we can represent God really, really, really well if we deal with sin around us the way he deals with sin around him. Amen? God, thank you for tonight. Thank you for the opportunity to be here, to look through this just important, fun, awesome, challenging, well-known chapter. I pray that we would take things away from it that um, make us more like you. Father, thank you for pursuing us when we're at our worst. Thank you for dealing kindly with us. Thank you for the consequences of sin that train us, that mold us, that make us. Father, help us to be aware of the enemy's attack, of his tactics, to go back to our word. Lord, help us to not result to, or to not revert to legalism, but to just really pursue the greater things, the deeper things of you. Thank you that you will empower us to do that, that you do empower us to do that. In Jesus' name, amen.